Born on October 23, 1945 in the Rosemont district of Montreal, Richard Blass turns to amateur boxing during childhood to channel his anger. It is immediately following a boxing match that Blass commits one of his first known crimes, attacking his rival, boxer Michel Gouin, with a knife after losing his fight against him. Blass pleads guilty to assault and spends the night in jail. Other convictions will follow through to 1971 for armed robbery and other violent crimes. So much so that he will have spent a large part of his adult life in prison. By the end of the 60s, the authorities have already taken steps to have him recognized as a habitual criminal. In a criminal career that covers a seemingly short period of time, Blass will have ended the lives of about 20 people. He himself escapes three assassination attempts during the war with the Italians. Blass also becomes known as somewhat of a master in the art of sharing the details of his life and his sad exploits with certain media. He even sends photos showing himself holding various weapons, as much to taunt his rivals as the police. Crown prosecutor Maître Claude Gerroir even gives him the moniker of the most dangerous criminal in Canada. Richard Blass is a brilliant, arrogant, and very dangerous criminal. He carries out an escape that some consider to be the most important escape of the century in Canada. Between 1965 and 1975, Blass is suspected of 21 murders and makes three spectacular escapes from police custody. Having survived five shooting attempts, the press nicknames him the Cat. Is it me or is true crime taking over everything? Netflix? Nothing but true crime shows now. TV has entire networks dedicated to true crime. YouTube is all blurry true crime videos ripped off of TV networks. And if you look at the titles of the most popular podcasts, it's clear we've taken that over too. Serial, criminal, morbid, my favorite murder, crime junkie. There's even an annual crime con convention where people go to have a nice time and learn about horrific crimes. Wow, what a twisted bunch of weirdos we are. We now live in a world where true crime influencers like Live on the Edge, True Crime Cam, Tara Voschel, and Brittany Ransom can solve crimes armed with nothing but a smartphone and a ring light. What a time to be alive. And yes, the true crime community has actually helped solve a few cases over the years. But let's be real here. Most true crimers don't really want to fight crime. We want to peek inside the criminal underworld, learn about criminal minds, criminal acts, analyze evidence, develop theories, and of course, relentlessly push those theories on our fellow crime groupies. But very few of us actually want to take it to a don't f with cats level and start tracking down cold-blooded killers in real life. Why? Well, because A, those true crime social media groups can be a bit intense and B, because we're not actually crazy or brave enough to track down actual killers in actual real life. Okay, so what's my point? My point is that true crimers want to play detective, not be a detective. And that's why this podcast isn't just a listening experience. It's also a game. 
That's right. While we're telling you some of the wildest and most mind-blowing true crime stories, from the heist of the century to TV bombs and fake currency exchange offices run by the feds, we'll also be leaving Easter eggs in the podcast that link to Crime Trip, a game where you can literally step inside crimes in augmented reality. So check out the Crime Trip app on the App Store and Play Store to play along to this podcast. Happy hunting, you perverted little crime trippers. Richard Blass is known to hate the Italian Mafia. He constantly challenges the Italians, whom he reproaches for taking up too much space in Montreal, to the detriment of his friends and the French-speaking underworld. He swears that he will have the heads of Frank Catroni and brothers Joe and Jimmy DiPaolo. On May 7, 1968, Blass and the Rabagalal ambush Catroni outside his home. Two of his bodyguards are killed, but Catroni manages to escape. A few weeks later, on August 20th, 1968, Blass escapes an attack, this time in a tavern on St. Hubert Street. Noticing two armed men approaching him, he turns on his heels and darts away from them. The suspects chase, but somehow he manages to dodge the bullets fired at him. Two weeks later, Blass is again tracked by the Mafia, this time to a motel named Le Manoir de Plaisance in a suburb of Montreal. The motel is burned down and three people are killed, but Blass escapes the inferno. On October 10, 1968, he is almost taken out again when he is sitting in a Lincoln Continental with an associate, Claude Menard, parked in a garage in Ville Saint-Michel. The two gangsters are talking to each other when four individuals show up out of nowhere and without warning fire machine guns at them. Blass, who is armed, has no time to react. He takes three bullets to the head, while Menal is only slightly injured. Menal ultimately saves his life by backing through a garage door at full throttle with his vehicle so that Blass is able to be rescued and transported to the Gentilon Hospital where medical staff help keep him alive. He refuses to identify his attackers, which earns him the respect of criminals and members of the Canadian Mafia. It is at this time that the media gives him the nickname Nine Lives Cat. Sunday, May 4, 1969. Shortly before 9 a.m., Robert Ticualan, Richard Blass's right-hand man, is murdered in the middle of the street. This happens right under the noses of the police a few minutes after having left his home on Jean Street to go buy beer. Three men are arrested after the hit. Mafiosi Vincenzo Jimmy DiMaolo, as well as Giuseppe Joss the Killer Armeni and Nicola Leo, two former bodyguards of Frank Catroni. The following year, Jimmy DiMaolo is sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 12 years. Both of the other henchmen are also convicted and jailed. In January 1969, Blas and his gang attempt to commit a bank robbery. But the attempt fails and Blas ends up shooting a policeman as he flees the scene. 
He's arrested for the crime and sentenced to four consecutive 10-year prison terms. Just six months after his incarceration, Blass is on his way to a court hearing aboard the Bordeaux prison transport van, nicknamed Black Maria. Blass and another prisoner jump one of the corrections officers in the van and manage to subdue him. They take control of the vehicle and escape. Soon after, an anonymous tipster informed the police that Blass has taken refuge in his wife's apartment. He will be arrested there the next day and taken back to prison. On November 30th, in the middle of the courtroom, Blass jumps on one of the police officers who arrested him, claiming that he pulled his hair and injured his wife during the arrest. He will go so far as to invite the policeman to come and fight with him in his cell. It is later noted that Blast doesn't even need to be at the courthouse that day. And curiously, it is discovered that one of the other detainees is in possession of a gun and a handcuff key. Always looking for publicity, Blast actually sends a photo of himself during his escape to the press, after having read in the Journal de Montréal that the police had no recent photo of the wanted criminal. On June 21st, 1974, Blass manages his second escape. He and four other inmates hide in carts of dirty laundry and wait for the right moment to jump the corrections officers as well as the laundry truck driver and tie them up. They manage to escape, but Blass will be captured the next day after officers receive another anonymous call informing them of Blass's whereabouts. He returns to court, but this time he is surrounded by five correctional officers armed to the teeth. On October 23, 1974, the day of his birthday, Blass escapes for a third time but this time from the Saint-Vincent-de-Paul penitentiary. During a visit to the prison, a former girlfriend of the famous criminal Jacques Messrin smuggles in a few guns to him. Accomplices of Blast then break the window of the visitor's room. Pointing guns at the guards, he flees in the company of Jean-Paul Mercier, Pierre Vincent, Robert Frappier, and Edgar Roussel. They manage to leave the prison and immediately become Canada's most wanted fugitives. Blass, who is now on his third escape, has promised that this time he will not be taken back alive. Free for God, free from men, reads Richard Blass's grave at the request of his mother. Blass's brother Mike was also known to the police in his own right before becoming an informant in the mid-1980s. One notable event that he is linked to is the explosion that completely destroyed a building on De Maisonneuve Boulevard and killed four people linked to the West End gang. After being freed for a time, he's jailed again, this time for killing an antique dealer he had just ripped off. He died in prison in the early 2000s. In November 1974, Richard Blass writes a letter to his lawyer, Frank Shufi, 
in which he threatens to kill a large number of people unless journalists are given access to visit the Saint-Vincent-de-Paul detention center, an institution he claims is degrading towards its inmates. Upon his spectacular exit from the penitentiary, Blas has only one idea in mind, to find Raymond Lorrain and Roger Lévesque in order to kill the men who had testified against him in the trial for a robbery committed in January 1969. On October 30th, 1974, Blas finds the two men he's been looking for at the Gargantua Lounge Bar at 1369 Beaubien Street East in the heart of his former stronghold in the Rosemount district of Montreal. He kills them in cold blood. On January 21st, 1975, Blas and his accomplice, Fernand Baudet, return to the same bar and take 13 people hostage, 10 men and three women. Convinced that he must eliminate any potential witnesses to the assassination of Lorraine Lévesque, Blas goes on to massacre the 13 people in one fell swoop. After shooting former police officer and manager of the establishment, Richard Fortin, in the heart, whom he suspects of talking to the police, Blas and his accomplice bring all the customers down to the basement of the bar. They then lock them in a very small walk-in fridge where cases of beer are piled up. From there, he sprinkles the entire basement with gasoline. The two ne'er-do-wells then barricade the door of the walk-in using a padlock and a jukebox, then set fire to the place to eliminate all witnesses. One of the customers tries to get out, but Blast stops him by firing a shot through the door. When the first firefighters arrive, around 1.30 a.m., the drama has been playing out for almost an hour, and it goes without saying, the 13 people are dead. Around 6 a.m., the police are just beginning to take the bodies out via the narrow, dark staircase leading to the lounge bar on the second floor of the building, where suspicions are already pointing directly towards Richard Blass and his gang. Investigators have been tipped off about an abandoned taxi at a nearby strip joint with the engine still running. The driver says that he had been forced to drive Blass and his accomplice to the Gargantua bar. The La Presse newspaper writes the next day, this crime is among the most horrific in the Canadian judicial annals. Quebec is horrified by Blass's barbaric methods. But strangely, he gets what he asked for. Journalists are then given access to cell block I at the Saint-Vincent-Paul penitentiary, albeit without cameras or tape recorders, and they finally do testify to the poor conditions the prisoners are living in. From that moment on, the Canadian authorities are engaged in one of the largest manhunts in its history. Blass is the most wanted man in the country, and all of the police forces are involved in finding him. Following heavy surveillance and wiretapping, police officers from the Montreal urban community carry out raids and arrest nine people. They could have arrested Richard Blass in a house in the Rosemont district, but the operation was deemed too risky. They instead wait until the next day when Blass will be hole up in a cabin in Valdavid. <laughs> 
north of Montreal. January 24th, 1975. While Richard Blass is playing cards with a young woman and a couple of friends in a chalet in Val David, the police are waiting until the wee hours of the morning when everyone is asleep before storming the chalet. They know Blass is heavily armed and won't be easily captured. At 4.30 a.m., Albert Lysacek, considered by some to be Canada's toughest police officer, leads the charge with Corporal Marcel Lacoste of the Sûreté du Québec and Jacques Durocher, a detective from the Montreal Urban Community Police Force. Armed with Thompson machine guns, they storm in, smashing the front door. The three policemen hastily make their way upstairs. Two of them head straight to Blass's room, while the other secures the three remaining occupants in another room. Without giving him any time to reach for his weapons, he is hit with 27 bullets. Blass didn't stand a chance. He collapses to the ground while uttering his last words, you dirty bastards. This spectacular operation raises a lot of controversy. The public and some journalists wonder if Blass wasn't simply executed. The three officers signed sworn statements saying that Blass was holding a gun when they entered the cabin and that he fired the first shot. Officers Zurashi and Lacoste testify before the coroner and ballistic evidence shows that bullets from both of their guns killed Blass. Dramatically, 37 years later, in May 2012, when he was dying of cancer, Albert Lysacek told journalist Warren Perlev of the Gazette newspaper that Blass was in fact unarmed at the time of his execution. Blass simply walked towards them, half-dressed, holding a sock. And thus ends the brief but thunderous decade-long criminal career of notorious gangster Richard Blass. So check out the Crime Trip app on the App Store and Play Store to play along to this podcast. Happy hunting, you perverted little crime trippers.